Welcome. You are listening to the Learning to Believe Again podcast with your host, Brittany Bexton. Where do you begin when you're learning to believe again? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about dreams. Yes, I know we've been doing a bit of that lately. But I'm going to be having some guests on to share about their own experience with dreams. One that actually does biblical dream interpretation, who is a prophet, and one of his specialties is specifically dream interpretation. So since we're diving into the exciting world of dreams and God dreams, I want to do a little bit of a study with you on biblical dreams. And when I say that, I just mean biblical examples of dreams and biblical examples of dream interpretation. Because anytime we explore a new subject, especially when it's something that has creeped into the New Age realm a lot, we want to make sure we reel it back into the Bible and we focus on the Bible and God's Word and the truth that's in there. Because God absolutely speaks to us in dreams And we want to make sure that we're not kind of running off the deep end and taking that truth and taking it into a place that God doesn't want us. We really have to stick to biblical resources and the Bible here. We don't want to Google online dream interpretation. We don't want to just randomly Google dream dictionaries. That stuff gets into things that are not biblical. And we want to stick to God's word and God's truth so that we don't end up in an area that we don't belong, twisting what God has given us as a gift. So I'm going to just take us through Genesis. And when God first talks about dreams and dreaming and him speaking in dreams. So today we're specifically talking about God dreams. All of these are dreams from God and interpretation that is godly biblical interpretation. So Genesis 20 is the first example that I find of dreaming. Now don't take my word for that because I could have dived a lot deeper and just double checked and I did not do that. So I encourage you to do more research yourself, especially if you're like, that doesn't sound right. I think there was information about dreams before that, but The first example that I found in my quick research here to go over some biblical examples of dreams and dream interpretation with you is in Genesis 20. And in Genesis 20, it says, Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he lived for a time in Gerar. And Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. So Abimelech king of Gerar, sent men and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Okay, pause for a second. We don't know anything about Abimelech really until this moment. We know that he's the king of Gerar. We don't even know if he's an Israelite necessarily, or if he follows God, but we do know that God spoke to him in a dream. And we know that Abraham 
lied to Abimelech, but God knew that Abimelech did not know about the lie. And God, in his grace, came to Abimelech himself in his sleep and told him the truth. Behold, you are a dead man because the woman whom you have taken, she is married. So then in that is verse 3, Genesis 20, verse 3. And it says in the beginning of verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream. So God himself visited Abimelech in this dream and just straight up tells him the truth. So we have talked about in the past the difference between metaphorical dreams and dreams that are literal or straightforward. This is a very literal dream. And this would be an example of a warning that needs to be heeded immediately. God comes to Abimelech and warns him. He doesn't want Abimelech to question or wonder what he's talking about. He is being straightforward because there is an urgency on this warning and this word. He says, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken for she is married. No metaphors there. No holds bar. He is straightforward. Verse four says, now Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you kill a nation even though blameless? Did he himself not say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream. So this is all still in the dream. He is responding to God in the dream. Again, totally straightforward. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this. And I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So God says, I know that you're integral. I kept you from sinning against me. I kept you from letting, I kept you from touching her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, know that you will certainly die you and all who are yours. That is the dream. That's the whole dream. So God came to him and he gave him a very straightforward warning. He did not mince words. He did not use metaphors. He told him exactly how it was. And he said, do this and you will live. I have protected you up to this point because you did not know. I've kept you from sinning against me. But now I'm telling you, now you know. So now return her and you will live, but if you don't, you will die. And everyone connected to you will also. That is quite a warning. But notice God came directly to him in his dream, and God was very straightforward. He did not want Abimelech to question what was being said to him. He did not want to leave room for any questions. He was totally literal and straightforward. It was an important and timely message because he needed to tell him before he touched Sarah. So verse eight says, so Abimelech got up early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their presence. So he told all of his servants what God had said to him in the dream. He told them that, and the people were greatly frightened. So I'm not gonna read any more than that because that's basically the dream, but Abimelech does give Sarah back. And he asks Abraham why he lied. And Abraham says, because I was scared that you would kill me to take her. So who knows what would have happened had he been honest. But God protected both Sarah and Abraham and Abimelech with that dream. It was a 
an on-time, straightforward, literal dream. So the next dream we see is Jacob's dream. Now, Jacob was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. So this is Genesis 28. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he happened upon a particular place and spent the night there, because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and made it a support for his head and lay down in that place. And he had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Then behold, the Lord was standing above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, The Lord is certainly in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place that is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So here we see a dream with a few different elements to it. There are some visual and metaphorical elements like the ladder up and down from heaven, ascending and descending angels. But it's mostly straightforward. However, God does use a few metaphors in this. He talks about his descendants being like the dust of the earth and how they will spread out over the earth. So that's a metaphor. It's not a a very brash metaphor, but that's a metaphor that his descendants will be like dust that spread over the earth. He says families, all the families of the earth will be blessed by them. He says wherever he goes, he will be with him and he will bring him back to this land. He will not leave him until he does what he promised. So this dream is a number of things. It is pretty straightforward. It's mostly literal, but there are some metaphors in there because God wanted him to have this image of what was going on, but it's just God speaking to him except for this picture of this ladder with angels ascending and descending from heaven to earth. And God gives him a promise. So this is a prophetic dream. God tells him the future. He says, I will give the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. So that's a prophetic word right there. He tells him the future. He says, I'm giving you this land. It's not his yet, but he says, I'm giving it to you. And then he prophesies into his descendants and how his descendants will spread all over the earth. And he promises that he will be with him and he will protect him wherever he goes. He will not leave him and he will do what he promised. So this is a prophetic dream because it speaks to the future. This is also a dream of promise. This is the first dream we see where God gives a promise in a dream and where God gives a prophetic dream. The dream that Abimelech had was a warning, God saying, look, this is what's going on and I'm warning you now. Granted, he did tell him what would or would not happen depending on how he responded. 
But Jacob's dream, Jacob's dream is a gift. Jacob's dream is a prophetic word for the future. And Jacob's dream is a promise from God. And he says, I will not leave you until I have done what I promised. And, you know, I, I read the rest, but Jacob says that he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place that is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So in that place, he's not afraid, like afraid for his life, but he has the fear of the Lord and awesome, the awe of the Lord. And in that place, he dedicates it to God and he knows that the Lord is there. So we see that beautiful dream. And then we see in Genesis 31, this is Genesis 31, 4. So Jacob sent word and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field and said to them, I see your father's attitude that is not friendly toward me as it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all of my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to do me harm. If he said this, this is about his, their father, if he said this, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flock delivered speckled. And if he said this, the stripe shall be your wages, then all the flock delivered stripe. So God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. So pause for a second. This is just, I'm giving you the backstory here. We're not to the dream yet. But this is Jacob, who God already promised that he was going to be with him wherever he went. And this is later on. So then verse 10. And it came about at the time when the flock was breeding that I raised my eyes and saw in a dream. So this is Jacob again. And he sees in a dream. And behold, the male goats that were mating were striped, speckled, or mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob? And I said, here I am. He said, now raise your eyes and see that all the male goats that are mating are striped, speckled, or mottled. For I have seen everything that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a memorial stone, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, Leave this land and return to the land of your birth. Okay, so I'm going to pause here because Bethel is the place where he had the Jacob's Ladder dream. He named that place Bethel and he put a stone in memorial to God and he made a vow to always serve the Lord and to know that God was the one true God was his God. So God's now bringing him back to that in this dream. He's saying, I'm the God of Bethel where you anointed a memorial stone where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. So he's just shared this dream. We see a few things in this dream. This is a directional dream. God is giving him direction. God shows him the goats because the goats actually are kind of metaphorical in this. This is an example of God using in our dreams things that mean specific things to us. So we each kind of have our own dream language. That's why the Holy Spirit in you is ultimately the one that has to interpret a dream. It has to resonate with you. There are amazing biblical, prophetic, and dream interpreters. And sometimes you might need a little help from one of them. But ultimately, you also have to understand what's going on in your dreams. And we each ultimately have our own dream language because... We each have experiences that are meaningful to us. For example, 
I love dogs. I have two. Other people are scared of dogs. So a dog in my dream is going to mean something very sweet, but a dog in a dream for someone that is afraid of dogs is going to mean something very different. And that would be a metaphor that God would use to speak to us. So in this case, that's how God speaks to Jacob. We know from the top part that Laban had been changing his wages and constantly changing the goats that were supposed to be his. Like he was supposed to get wages of these goats and Laban kept changing it to try to keep him from getting any wages. But God was on his side and kept changing the goats so that they would fit what Laban was saying. So God gives him this dream. God gives Jacob this dream where he shows him these goats. And he shows him to look up and see the goats and see all the different types of goats. And then he takes that, that very personal experience that is kind of a metaphor, but he says, look, I see what's being done to you. And then he gives him direction. He says, leave this land and return to the land of your birth. So this is a directional dream. Now in verse 14, he's just told this to his wives, Rachel and Leah. In verse 14, Rachel and Leah said to him, do we still have any share or inheritance in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and has also entirely consumed our purchase price. Surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, do whatever God has told you. So they recognize that their father has not been good to them or to him. And they say, do what God told you. So then this next part, this is still in Genesis 31. We actually see Laban, their father, pursue Jacob. And there is a dream in here too. When Laban, this is verse 22. When Laban was informed on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him at a distance of seven days journey. And he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. However, however, this is verse 24. God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream of the night and said to him, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. Another warning. God protects his people. He's giving Jacob's enemy. I mean, yes, it's his father-in-law. Yes, it's the grandfather to his children, but he's also dealt very unfairly with them. He's been cruel to them. So really he's an enemy. God comes to the enemies of his people or the people where they're in foreign lands that potentially are enemies and he warns them. He warns your enemies to not mess with you. So that's what he says. He comes to this to Laban in a dream and he says, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. He warns Laban not to mess with Jacob. And then verse 25, and Laban caught up with Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country and Laban with his kinsmen camped in the hill country of Gilead. Then Laban said to Jacob, what have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with joy and with songs, with tambourine and with lyre and did not allow me to kiss my grandchildren and my daughters? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm, but... The God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. 
So he says right there, I could harm you for this, but God told me not to, so I can't. That's basically what he says. And then at the end of that, Jacob and Laban actually make a pact with each other that neither of them will ever harm each other. And they put a memorial there. They basically make a covenant with each other that neither will harm each other. So God not only gave Jacob the dream and told him to leave, God went to Jacob's, basically his enemy, the person that had been doing harm to him and that had not treated him fairly, and warned his enemy, don't you dare touch Jacob. Don't you mess with him. So we see a directional dream that includes personal things of Jacob's that have specific meaning to him. A God direction dream and then we see another warning dream to the enemy or not necessarily to the enemy but we see another warning dream to someone who could have caused harm to Jacob and God says don't you dare so then Genesis 37 now we get to Joseph now Joseph is the son of Jacob so we actually see here how this anointing for godly dreams has been passed down to Joseph and in Genesis 37, I'm going to start in verse 4, it says, And his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. So I only included that piece because Joseph was very loved by Jacob. Jacob knew that Joseph was a special child. He loved him very much. He doted on him, and his brothers were jealous. So this dream came on top of their jealousy. Then in verse 5 it says, Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf stood up and also remained standing. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brothers said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really, or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now I'm gonna stop here for a second because we see a metaphor, a very direct metaphor for the first time. Most of the other dreams we've seen up to this point have been very straightforward. They have been warning dreams that are literal. They have been promise, prophetic promise dreams that are mostly literal. There's a little bit of a flavor of metaphor, but mostly literal. We have seen directional dreams that have a little flavor of some personal things thrown in there that would make personal sense to him, but very straightforward. And we see, again, a warning dream that's very literal and straightforward. But here, here we see this very metaphorical dream. Because we see his brothers interpreted it immediately. They have sheaves from the field. Joseph's sheaf stands up straight and his brother's sheaves bow to the ground. Now it is metaphorical. It's not them. It's sheaves. It's harvest. Actually, sheaves in the field could also represent food, which is a whole other thing kind of speaking to when Joseph is actually raised up in the future. But his brothers immediately know what this means. Now this is a prophetic dream because this speaks to Joseph's calling. This speaks to the future and what's going to happen. And this speaks to Joseph's role his, and his purpose. His brothers know what it means right away and they get even more angry. Then in verse 9, 
It says, then he had yet another dream and informed his brothers of it. <laughs> Not the wisest thing to tell your brothers who hate you these things, but, you know, he did. So he said, sorry, back to verse 9. He had another dream. He informed his brothers of it and said, behold, I have had yet another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He told it to his father as well as to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Am I and your mother and your brothers actually going to come to bow down on the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. So I, I want to pause there again and just say his father kept the matter in mind because Joseph knew what it was to be a dreamer and he knows that God speaks in dreams. So even though he rebuked him, he also had that in his mind, like, God, what does this mean? You gave my son this dream? So he kept the matter in mind. He knew that there was something to that. But again, we see a very metaphorical dream. It's speaking to the same thing that the previous dream was, only now it's including his mother and father. So in this dream, we see that the sun and the moon represent his mother and his father, and the 11 stars represent his brothers, and they were all bowing down to him. So up above, we have the sheafs representing his brothers bowing to him, and now we have the sun and the moon representing his mom and dad, and the 11 stars representing his brothers, and they are all bowing down to him. Very metaphorical, but again, his father understood and interpreted it right away. So, again, calling dream, prophetic dream, purpose dream, speaking to Joseph's identity, and speaking to the future. So then in verse 18, we see that his brothers plot against Joseph. It says, when they saw him from a distance and before he came closer to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. So they even called him a dreamer. Now, in that moment, they made fun of him, but him being a dreamer would carry him through his life and be very good to him. So verse 19, they say, here comes this dreamer. Verse 20, now then come and let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say a vicious animal devoured him. Then we will see what becomes of his dreams. So I included that because if you don't know the story of Joseph, you know that all of his dreams came to pass. And even though his brothers plotted against him, they could not stop the plans of God. Even though his brothers were jealous, they could not stop the plans of God. Even though it may have been totally foolish for Joseph to tell his brothers and his father about these dreams, nothing can stop the plans of God. And they say, then what will become of his dreams? Well, they, they didn't kill him. He was actually bought into slavery. Later on, he's given over as a servant. He has favor there because God was with him everywhere. His father thinks that he's dead. I'm paraphrasing now. Um, then he has an issue in his master's house because his master's wife tries to seduce him and he says no. But the master's wife lies and he ends up not just in servanthood and slavery, but he's put in jail. By no fault of his own, he denies his master's wife. But in jail. This is where we see his fulfillment of his dreams and of his promise from God to start start coming to pass. So 
we see a whole lot of oppression and a whole lot of hardship and a whole lot of difficulty in Joseph's life after he gets the promise. And so much of what Joseph faced, you would think that he was given that promise and then he sees the exact opposite. He's almost killed. He's left for dead. He's sold into slavery. He's in slavery. I mean, if he's in slavery, why would anyone bow to him? Then he ends up in prison. And it would look as though his dreams were stopped. But God is so amazing that not only does God take everything that the enemy meant for evil and turn it around for our good, which Joseph himself says in Genesis 50, but God works everything together for our good. So even when his brothers, in their jealousy, plotted against him evilly, God used what they did to actually bring him into the promise. Even though Joseph was foolish and maybe arrogant in sharing his dreams, God used that to bring him into his promise because God's promises are always fulfilled and God's plans stand. So in Genesis 40, this is where things start getting really interesting. This chapter is titled, Joseph Interprets Dreams. This is the very first time we see someone being asked to interpret a dream for another. Now, his brothers automatically interpreted his first dream and his father understood and interpreted his second. But this is the first time that we actually see that it says he interprets. This is the first time it's stated and this is the first time he really truly does it for anyone else because though his brothers and his father understood his dream, they didn't exactly lay it out in interpretation piece by piece. So Genesis 40. Now, Joseph's anointing goes from just dreamer to dream interpreter. And it says, Then it came about after these things, that the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, in the prison, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. So we see people that are with Pharaoh. Pharaoh is basically the king of Egypt, right? That's what Pharaoh was. So Pharaoh's servants, his direct servants, are put in the prison right where Joseph is. And I don't know if you are familiar with what a cupbearer is, but a cupbearer actually is the one that is supposed to drink from the king's mug first, or in this case, Pharaoh's mug first, to make sure that it's not poisoned before he gives it to the king. So this is a very, very, very close person to Pharaoh. So it's the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. Verse 4, And the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, because Joseph had favor everywhere he went, even in prison. So he put Joseph in charge of them, and Joseph took care of them. And they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, both had a dream the same night. Each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. So they had a dream the same night, but they were two separate dreams with different interpretations. Verse 6, when Joseph came to them in the morning and saw them, behold, they were dejected. They were upset because they didn't understand. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement, why are your faces so sad today? And they said to him, we have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. Then this is the key. 
Then Joseph said to them, Do interpretations not belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So, this is the truth. When we look at any dream interpretation, we have to know that interpretations belong to God. So if we go off in the wrong direction, if we get into New Age stuff, if we go off of biblical truth, then our interpretations are also off because dream interpretations belong to God. It says it right here. Interpretations belong to God. Then Joseph says, tell it to me, please. So Joseph is a godly man. He's a dreamer and he knows. He knows the Lord. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. So Joseph, we now know, is not only a prophetic dreamer, he's a prophetic dream interpreter. This is a new anointing. And God speaks to him about these metaphors and in dreams and through dreams. So we see the first metaphorical dream in Joseph, and now we see him interpreting dreams with metaphors. So verse 9, so the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph, saying to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches, and it was budding. Its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. So I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand, as in your former practice when you were his cupbearer. So he's being... Joseph says, this is what it means. Those were three days. You're being restored to your position. You're going to be his cupbearer again. And then Joseph says, only keep me in mind when it goes well for you. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For in fact, I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing that they should have put me into this dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there were some of all kinds of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift your head from you and will hang you on a wooden post and the birds will eat your flesh off of you. Ooh, so we do not see a favorable interpretation there. That one's yuck. Sorry about that, guys. I should have issued a trigger warning for the Bible. <laughs> so verse 20 says, So it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he held a feast for all his servants and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now, he didn't forget him entirely, but he certainly forgot to tell Pharaoh about him. So Joseph had requested, please, when these good things happen, remember me and tell Pharaoh. Well, 
He did not remember him in that moment, and he did not tell Pharaoh about him. But, 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 then we see in verse 41, Pharaoh's dream. Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. So two more years pass. The cupbearer has not said anything. Again, Joseph had this promise from God. He had this prophetic word. And ever since then, his life did not go anywhere near looking like that prophetic word and that promise would ever come to pass. In fact, his life couldn't have looked further from it. In some ways, it got worse and worse. And even when he interpreted this dream for this man, this servant, this cupbearer, and he thought, this is my way out, two full years passed because the man forgot to tell Pharaoh. Two years passed after that. But at the end of these two full years, Pharaoh had a dream. Now, this is Genesis 41. So we have just come out of Genesis 40, where Joseph interprets dreams for the cupbearer and the baker. And now in Genesis 41, now it happened at the end of two full years. So he waited for two full years. Pharaoh had a dream. Then verse 9, it says, then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh. So I didn't include the entire dream here or this whole section because I didn't want to make this episode too long. But I just wanted to share those verses because Joseph waited and he waited and he waited and there was a promise and he waited and he waited and then he thought there was a way out. He saw this breakthrough. He saw this person that could be his breakthrough and then he had to wait some more because the person forgot him. But now it happened at the end of two full years, Pharaoh had a dream. Well, guess what? When Pharaoh had a dream, the chief cupbearer remembered. He remembered and he spoke to Pharaoh and he told Pharaoh that he had had his dream interpreted and so had the baker by this man, Joseph. And he basically says to Pharaoh, please forgive me, I messed up. I was supposed to tell you and I forgot. But this man interpreted my dream and the baker's dream accurately. It came to pass and he encourages Pharaoh to go to Joseph. So then in verse 14, we see Joseph interprets. And this is the moment that he steps in. He steps in. He has been given a promise in a dream. He's been given a prophetic word in a dream. And he's been given an anointing for dreams. And now the very, the very anointing that he was given for dreams and the anointing that he was given for interpreting dreams is the anointing that puts him in position to fulfill his purpose and his calling and his promise from God. It says in verse 14, Then Pharaoh sent word and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh saying, it has nothing to do with me. God will give Pharaoh an answer for his own good. So Joseph was given this anointing, but he was also wise enough to know that the interpretation was not from him. The interpretation came only from God. And he made sure in that moment to give God the glory. And then he interpreted Pharaoh's dream 
and now I'm paraphrasing, then he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh's dream was about a famine coming to Egypt, and Joseph gave him instructions to start storing up food. Well, Pharaoh was not only impressed by Joseph's interpretation, he was so impressed by Joseph's interpretation that he made him an official in the kingdom, and he put him in charge of storing up food for the famine. So guess what happened? Promise fulfilled. His brothers came seeking help when the famine hit, and they bowed before Joseph. But you know what? Joseph forgave them for what they'd done, and he said, what you meant for evil, God has used for our good, even to save the lives of many. God's promise came to pass, and it wasn't just about his brothers or his father or his mother bowing to Joseph, though they did, though he was in a position of power that they would bow to him, that they would need something from him, he was actually able to save their lives. And not just their lives, but the lives of many, many, many people, all because he was tuned into the Lord and he listened for God's voice and because God spoke to him in a dream and then God spoke to him in another dream and then God spoke to him and helped him interpret dreams. So dreams are so powerful. And if you have a dream or a promise from God, I want you to get a few things out of this. One, just because it's taken time and just because it seems the opposite does not mean that it will not come to pass. Your promise will come to pass because God keeps every single promise he ever made. And he will fulfill his promises to you. So if you are standing on a promise of God, keep standing. It might look totally opposite right now. But God is working everything together for your good. And he is bringing that promise to pass. It looked totally opposite for Joseph. It looked like it would not happen. And yet God took everything that he went through. And that was the very thing. Those were the very things. God worked together to put Joseph exactly where God had told him he was going to be. And exactly where God had promised him he would be. So stand on those promises, trust that God is working, and now we see a little bit of an intro to biblical dreams in Genesis, and we see interpretation belongs to God, and we see a few different types of dreams. So I hope that this blessed you, and I release God dreams to you today. I pray that you have God dreams, that you start hearing from the Lord in your sleep and that you wake up and remember and write them down immediately and that you start tracking your dreams so that you know that God is speaking to you and you see the ways that he is moving. I release dreams of encouragement to you, prophetic dreams, dreams of purpose and promise. I release directional dreams to you and even warning dreams so that you have a heads up so that God protects you. Thank you, Lord, for the dreams that you are giving your people in Jesus' name. Hope you have a wonderful week, everyone, and I will talk to you again next week. Yeah,